and welcome to Cancway, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. My name is Sebastian. And a little later on, we have an interview. Well, I, I did the interview with Mike Tarasol, um, inspired by Finding Magic Mike. Uh, you can find it on Crave, um, should you have Crave. And uh, yeah, it's a bit of a reality TV show inspired by the movie series, Magic Mike. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about sort of male body confidence a little later on. Um, But before we get into that, we are going to address the somewhat serious, uh, very serious serious, uh, situation that is unfolding in uh, the Ukraine. And uh, that is the, the Russian invasion that is currently underway uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, I imagine you've been following it, uh, Sebastian? Yes, I have. Uh, well, to be honest, I haven't been following that many news sources. Mostly what I've been looking at is, uh, as much as I despise TikTok, uh, I have been following like TikTok and YouTube of uh, English-speaking Russians in Russia talking about their reaction to what their government is doing, which is very touching and it's very interesting. And in many cases, it's very sad. A lot of them are sort of expressing shame, but it's this very, like, I'm so glad we're living in a world now where social media does exist, where we can't, we can't villainize them. We know this is uh, a government that's kind of out of control and people who disapprove of their own government. Like it, it'll be impossible to spin it like, um, like the cold war where all the Russians are, Whatever, because now we can actually watch these Russians being like, everyone I know hates this. And it's just so different. It's very, very different. And uh, it's kind of heartbreaking. A lot of them are saying they're they're not just ashamed to be Russian. Some of them are saying they're ashamed to be Slavic, which is really pushing that bubble outwards. Because like, I've met a lot of people who, you know, they don't particularly feel pride one way or the other of being I don't know, Romanian or Baltic or Polish or whatever, but they feel immense pride for being Slavic. Uh, and turning their backs on that is actually a, a very interesting, sort of uh, interesting in a bad way, development. That's mostly what I've been following. I have been looking at the news on and off, but a lot of it is preliminary reports. A lot of it is speculation. A lot of it's analysis. It's really hard to get things that are concrete. And, and you know, watching social media people within the country isn't it's lived experience you know that's yeah it's it's a type of concrete but it's not you're getting a lot of opinions and a lot of things that may not be accurate but it's their perception of what's accurate and that's also interesting we know that uh the bbc world service have reporters on the ground the new york times have reporters on the ground wall street Mm -hmm. journal the financial times um, all of these are foreign correspondents in Kiev, in, in, yeah. in Odessa, in, you know, in in uh, uh, places around the Ukraine, and mm. uh, you know, all of them, I think, have actually lowered their paywalls for uh, th- this coverage. So, mm-hmm. if you are looking for reputable sources beyond TikTok, um, you know, the major <laughs> international media organizations that have the capacity. Mm-hmm. And the expertise, BBC World Service, New York Times, yep. Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, um, they're all available and, and you can get that information. You know, yep. there's about 150,000 troops around the Ukraine and mm-hmm. uh, a, a significant number of them in the country mm-hmm. uh, fighting right now. Before this kicked off, we've been following it, obviously, as is everybody. There is a story that we saw before the war broke out, and that was 
a leaked document that was being sent to Michelle Bachelet, who was the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, remains, is currently the United mm-hmm. Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. And she was sent uh, an intelligence document that the, the Americans, uh, and in that document, they said they have credible information that Russian forces are creating target lists of Ukrainians that will be killed, sent to camps, uh, if they're in, in the event of a military occupation, mm-hmm. um, including journalists, activists, gay rights advocates. So we knew in the weeks running up to this that if Putin is successful in his annexation of the Ukraine, mm-hmm. um, that gay folks in Kiev and across the country are in major mortal danger um, as uh, Russians have their names and they're on lists. Mm-hmm. It is, it is quite, uh, quite disturbing. Um, and the Russians have got form, you know, they've got, yep. uh, they've, they've got practice at this. One of the stories that uh, came up this week is um, the, Chechna bro- the Chechnyan brothers, uh, Salik uh, Magomedov and Ishmael Isyev. Mm-hmm. Um, these were the two that fled Chechnya. Um, if uh, the folks listening recall that, there were a couple of organizations that helped them to get out of Chechnya during mm-hmm. the purge, where gay Chechens were rounded up, interrogated to reveal the name of other gay Chechens, and, uh, you know, thrown in jail and, and public humiliated and, you know, really ruined many, many lives. Uh, they fled and they were in Moscow. And the Russian uh, police rounded them up and shipped them back to Chechnya, which is ostensibly a separate state. And they have now been sentenced for aiding an illegal armed group by providing food, uh, which is part five of Article 31 and part two of Article 208. Wait, how did these two escapees provide food? Did they just like, I'm going to grab a cup of tea. Do you want me to grab you one while I'm up? Like, is that what they did? Apparently, they handed over a bag of bread and tea to one of the militants. Oof, okay, so not far off from yeah. what I said. Oh my! So God. they have an okay. eight and a six-year prison sentence uh, in a regime prison colony. Um, they didn't admit their guilt. Um, they, when the when the brothers were first arrested, I don't know if you recall this. Uh, they brought in the father and essentially said there'll be very severe consequences for the rest of your family um, unless you pe- plead guilty on your son's behalf. Mm-hmm. And you know it was just obscene. And yeah, they've just handed over. Apparently, they said they were ha- they were accused of handing over some food to a member of an illegal armed formation. And uh, yeah, that's the excuse they're going with to put them behind bars for eight years. Must have been, it's a very heavy price to pay for a loaf of bread and a cup of tea in, in Chechnya. Um, but really, this is just th- these these charges, these criminal offenses, I think, is just trumped up. Oh, yeah. Because these two openly gay Chechnyans were rounded up in the in, in this LGBT purge in Chechnya. Mm-hmm. They escaped very humiliating for the Chechenian authorities, international ridicule uh, over Chechnya's approach to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not surprised they threw the book at them and have now tossed them into a penal colony for eight years. And what worries me is that's happening right now, mm-hmm. you know, in with these, with these two young Chechens. And for folks in the Ukraine, uh, knowing that there's lists and they may very well be on a list, 
that must be utterly terrifying mm-hmm. to know that you could end up in a penal colony for handing a cup of tea to to somebody mm-hmm. uh, as an excuse just because you've advocated for your own rights for a number of years. Where 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 is your thoughts sitting with, with all of this, uh, Sebastian? Being trumped up for that sort of thing, yeah, you, you get weird events like that now and then here, where you know the police are just looking for an excuse and. You know, somebody that they want to put behind bars for the longest time, they throw them behind bars because there's a bank robbery nearby and they said, you can't park there, you should park there or else you'll get towed. And now they're aiding and abetting with the getaway process or something like that. You know, like that kind of thing. I don't know. It's it's pretty transparent as to what it is. And uh, I I do feel like there's there's going to be sort of a loss of focus on Chechnya over the, the next few months uh in the very least uh there is news coming out of uh, romania and bulgaria uh that they will be looking into absorbing uh some refugees if they can uh that is again from like the the on the ground people saying they've heard rumors that they can go south or northwest uh what's directly west of ukraine is it trying to remember my geography i believe it's poland is a lot po- of folks have walked to Poland. Neighboring countries are definitely stepping forward to look into it and to see what they can do, uh, absorb how many people they can, sort of spread it around. Because if, if, say, Romania takes everyone, that's that's going to be really hard on their system. You know, we are coming out of a, a pandemic and there have been not food shortages, but supply chain issues and, you know, just distributing what's out there. So definitely I should hope that it gets spread around a little bit. Well, I don't think there should be any spreading. You know, I, I, I well, I mean, the, ideally, the, they should all, yeah, stay I think they in Ukraine and and Russia should leave, but yeah. uh, the Russians should turn those tanks around and haul back to the bits of the Ukraine they've already stolen, which is the Crimea Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the areas they're pretending not to be stealing in the Dubansk region, mm-hmm. and uh, get out of there and stop shelling civilians and storming orphanages and yeah. You know, rounding up vital personnel who are monitoring the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. You know, it's it is yeah. obscene what they are doing. But yeah, I think what jumps out at me is, I think it, it has surprised a lot of people, including the Russians, how much the Ukraine population have armed themselves. Like Ukraine pride is like, you know, we know we're on lists. We know the yeah. Russians dislike any difference from the norm um you know and uh we were arming ourselves yeah. you know we're over, fully prepared to fight over the past couple of years there has been a slow accumulation of not quite uh i don't know if you remember that scene from the movie tremors like there aren't people with a basement full of thousands of guns but people have been accumulating armaments over the past couple of years uh since the crimean uh was it a crisis situation? Crimean moment? Um, and they have been sort of putting away armaments just in case. So there, there has been a lot of people uh, basically just saying like, well, I guess this is when I start using this thing now. So, I mean, it's not ideal. I don't know. Like it's just from what I've seen on the ground, it seems like a lot of Russians are kind of sick and tired of their own government. I mean, they're, it, 
you know, if, if we're lucky, there could be some kind of internal thing happening where they, they try to stop their own government from doing this kind of thing, which is very difficult, even in the States. Like, um, part of the, the pullout of Vietnam was the uh, popular, well, the lack of popularity, I should say, that, that only affected it somewhat. The mm-hmm. government was perfectly willing to ignore protesters. Um, but you can, that is, that you can go pretty far with, with, with public disapproval of what your government is doing. Uh, depending on the government, they may, they may just shrug and say, that's your opinion. Uh, but it's, it goes a long way because if you lose, you know, the confidence of the people, you can get things like strikes and blocking railways and all sorts of things can happen. Even, even somewhere like, like Russia, you can get, you know, popular resistance of some form or another. I think it's important to understand that, you know, the Russian people are not getting any of this. You know, I think any Russian with a TikTok account is starting to understand what, what's happening. But, uh, you know, the Russian state media is absolutely not passing that information along. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where Eurovision gets interesting. Okay. And the reason why I'm going to talk about the Eurovision Song Contest is, uh, I believe, the largest singing competition in the in the world it mm-hmm. is one of the longest running it has representation from across the globe not just europe yep and uh, millions of viewers absolutely yeah yep. tens of millions of viewers maybe mm-hmm. not tens of millions but like many 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 millions of yep. uh your viewers so recently the ukrainian uh, public service uh, broadcaster and that's the thing the each country is not represented by the government but by their official broadcasters so yes. for us it would be the cbc yeah yeah um for australia it would be the abc and then yeah. for the us it would be pbs maybe i think broadcast <laughs> I, I uh, we'll, we'll figure it out I, I i don't know i don't think they have a state media well I mean, there's a few european countries that don't so it would be a collective it'd be like you know uh, uh fox msnbc and cnn would like pull their things together and then if you pay in then you you would have broadcasting rights really it comes down i do think that pbs is the actual um state-sponsored programming channel uh, well they don't have the funding so i don't think they well yeah they well that's true anyway back to the point the the ukrainian public broadcaster has essentially said look there is no way that we can morally accept Russia, who is literally in the middle of invading and occupying a a sovereign territory Mm -hmm. on the show. And the European Broadcasting Union has essentially said, look, countries do crazy things, Mm -hmm. but this is one broadcaster and another broadcaster in a broadcasting event. Mm -hmm. And the Ukraine have essentially said, look, we get what you're saying, but this isn't an independent broadcaster. The Russian broadcasters, and I quote, Mm -hmm. have been a mouthpiece for the Kremlin and a key tool of political propaganda um, with, and they're going to say, systemic dissemination of disinformation. They're essentially saying that the Russian broadcasters aren't a, you know, an innocent party in all this. Mm-hmm. They are the propaganda arm of the Russian government who yeah. are currently invading the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, the European Broadcasting Union initially said Eurovision is non-political. I'm yeah. not going to get into it. Um, I believe a lot of countries, including, I want to say, Finland, uh, threatened to boycott and withhold their, some, their entries to participating in 
um, the Eurovision mm -hmm. Song Contest. And uh, yeah, we have a statement here from the European Broadcasting Union. The European Broadcasting Union has announced that no Russian act will participate in this year's Eurovision Song Contest. Mm. The executive board of the EBU made the decision following a recommendation earlier today by the Eurovision Song Contest governing body, the reference group based on the rules of the event and the values of the EBU. Um, and then it goes on from there. But mm -hmm. yeah, this was a, a U-turn for Eurovision to actually say, maybe this does cross the line, an active invasion of another country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, well, there haven't been many active invasions in Europe since Eurovision began. Yeah. I mean, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, said this is the largest war in Europe since the Second World War. Yeah, um, yeah. It is, it is massive. At the state level, I mean, you get things in the Basque region, things in uh, sort of the Baltics, but like not, not at the state level, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. we're going to jump to our first song of the day. And this is the Ukrainian winning entry to the 2017, uh, 2016 Eurovision Song Contest. Good vintage year for Eurovision for anyone. Oh, yes. Um, we thought Russia would actually win it that year. But the Ukrainian entry on 1924 <sighs> about a cultural genocide of the Crimean Tatars. Yeah by joseph stalin in the 1940s yeah. um won it landslide yeah. major popular vote um this is 1944 by jamala uh, of the ukraine the 2016 entry to eurovision and we will be back just after. when strangers are coming they come to your house they kill you all and say we're not guilty, not guilty Where is your mind? Humanity cries You think you are God, but everyone dies Don't swallow my soul Our souls Everyone dies, don't swallow. 
and welcome back to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. I am joined by the incredible Mike Tassel. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, and thank you. Now, we've known each other many years, and, oh, yeah. uh, you know, we, we go back uh, a little while, so I met you probably... A decade ago? About a decade ago, yeah, in, <laughs> in just the age, both of us at the same time, um, in, uh, in Ottawa. And the reason why I thought you would make a fantastic guest for this topic is because, and maybe this is just me misreading it, I think that there is a conversation to be had about that, but I've always got the sense from you that you are very comfortable in your own skin. And the reason why that's important for today's conversation is because I was watching trashy reality TV because everyone has a guilty pleasure. And, and sometimes for me, it's, it's RuPaul's Drag Race or trashy reality. Um, usually it's a cooking show, to be honest. I'm that kind of gay. But we were watching finding magic mike now many of our listeners would have seen the magic mike movies with channing tatum and maybe sort of familiar with them in passing um it's essentially it's male dancers it's it's pretty much just a chippendales show really and uh they have a big las vegas residency and they've toured they were in london i think they came to toronto um so it's a, it's a pretty big production that moves around beyond just the two movies that they've made um, so yeah, a bit of a definitely a bit of a cash cow for for those involved. But finding Magic Mike piqued my interest because in the trailer they were like, you know, these are just Joe Schmoes, a nurse, a retired doctor, a you know, some folks out of the military, and it, they are men who wanted to find their sexiness, wanted to figure out how to go from that sort of stupor that they're in and regain or gain the kind of self-confidence that you would expect of a male exotic dancer or a Chippendale. Right. And it's been quite a roller coaster of a program. No spoilers. I haven't seen the end yet. But at the end of it, two of them, be, you know, joined this Las Vegas production and, and so on. But throughout it, it's been a really interesting conversation where this predominantly straight men, I think there was one bi gentleman, are talking about building on their soft confidence and, and their body confidence. Um, and there's all kinds of bodies in there. It's, they're not all six packs. Um, but yeah, so when I was thinking, I was like, this is a really interesting topic because I feel like straight men in particular don't really talk about body confidence so much. You know, we do have... Uh, bigorexia is a major uh, affliction and that's people who are you know addicted to to muscle building sort of the the reverse of anorexia um you know but it's not something that's overly discussed you know do you find yourself having conversations about body confidence much all the time all the time lots of my clients have so little body confidence you know, as gay men, I think there is so much pressure on us when we're younger in particular to look a certain way, to look for certain attributes in other men that I think we're incredibly body aware as gay men because um, of that kind of lens that's, that exists in, in the gay community. So one of the things that occurs to me is that straight gay men have a lot of uh, we're constantly talking when we're younger in particular 
about how we look, expectations on gay male bodies, what we look for in other gay men. It's very sort of um, quite superficial in how gay men treat and, and, and interact with each other. But I don't usually see that conversation happening so much about straight guys. You know what I mean? We've got uh, muscles or dad bod. Those seem to be the, the two options uh, available. But I am curious, Mike, because you worked with, with lots of straight folks in your in your lifetime. Do you think that straight guys talk about their bodies much or feel a pressure to look a certain way? Not nearly as much as gay guys, but it does happen. Um, there's the insecurities, a little bit too much around the middle, penis size, all of the, the same things that most gay men go through, but it's on a scale of one to 10, about a two. Gay men are the standard, then that's at about an eight or nine. I do think that when we saw the recent, obviously with Magic Mike being one of them, but then Fifty Shades of Grey, um, there is, I think, a growing conversation about what straight men uh, look like. And I think that there's a pr growing pressure on, on that sort of body confidence that, that exists there. But what, what jumps out at me is I think that there is a growing conversation now. You know, one of the individuals in the, in the competition, first of all, mentioned every chance he got, I have a girlfriend. And we're like, okay, we get it. You have a girlfriend. We, we have been told. Uh, we're yeah, not going to hit on it. you. Yeah. It's fine. You have, <laughs> we get it. We got the memo. Move on. Um, you know, but one of the things that he mentioned was, look, I want to have the kind of confidence to my girlfriend that she has with me, uh, you know, when we first started dating. And I thought that was a really interesting approach. And um, I think that there's a growing conversation among straight men about being confident in themselves that we've not really had as men. We don't talk about being confident in our own bodies and being sexy in our own bodies. But, you know, what do you think? Do you think men need to or are starting to think about how to be sexy more? I think so. More and more as people are uh, less constrained by gender-specific roles or gender-specific dogma. People are getting more comfortable with trying to figure out the nuances. Quite often, the straight women will go, oh my God, it's too bad you're gay. You have like this and this and this and this and this. And I can't find that in the, in the straight guys. And I'm like, well, that's because they're just not, they're just not expressing the same kinds of energies because they never had to. Mm -hmm. We do it as advertising. It's like, it's code, it's cruising, but they don't have to. So they never develop it. But as they get more or rather get less constrained by the dogma of gender specific everything. It makes me think of how important having conversations about confidence is, how important conversations about your own charisma is. And I'm looking at we have we have sort of two wild ends of the scale. You know, we've got Magic Mike and the Chippendales. And we've got incels, you know, way on the polar opposite. And I'm wondering, can we just have kind of conversations among men about where is a happy medium where we build up some self-confidence? You know, I'm not expecting everyone to become male exotic dancers, but I think that we can start to have conversations about ourselves and our own bodies so that we don't become these kind of recluse 
uh, incels and the sort of uh, the dangers, the real dangers that come with that 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 extreme on the other side. Do you have conversations with your your straight male friends about body confidence and how that might be something they can work on? Like I said, it's not like a majority of them are worried about not having the confidence. Most of it seems to be it never crossed their mind not to be confident. But it's it's a different thing when it comes to bearing the body in public or in front of others. Most guys who are straight, yeah, they'll take their shirt off at the barbecue or at the pool or the beach without a thought. They don't have a six pack, so what? It's it's actually kind of refreshing because when I deal with most of, or rather uh, several of the gay clients, it's all about, oh my God, I can't take my shirt off because I don't have the perfectly sculpted abs or I don't have the magnificent chest or whatever. It's probably because they never had to try and hide as children to fit in. That seems like such a cruel catch-22 that that gay folks are so body conscious that they're you know i you know i avoid going swimming and and scenarios where there's public expectations of less clothing and you know you're right you know your dad's walking around doing that thing not a care in the world that's pretty common but at the same time i think gay men have figured out how to be sexy and how to be alluring and put the charm on and, and uh, seduce people. And I see you shaking your head here. Maybe I've just <laughs> met very charming gay men. I mean, maybe it's a, a bias. There are so many countless numbers of guys, who gay guys, who will not go into a situation where they have to show their body. Like, it was eye-opening for me to watch this show and really get a sense of, of how men of all stripes are, are, are facing these challenges of, of their own body confidence. You know, we've talked about it on our radio show many times about rates of, in particular, eating disorders, huge yeah. eating disorders in uh, rates in, in the gay community. And I mentioned uh, bigorexia as well, which is, you know, that, that compulsion to put on muscle um, in, in an unhealthy way. You know, it, these are these are extreme ends of that coin, and I think it does relate to that body confidence. So, what do you think is the solution here? As somebody listening, how do we move forward from this? How do we have healthy conversations? It has to start at sex ed in grade six or grade five or whenever it starts. Now, it has to start then, and if it's not done then, in a way that's affirming the only way it really is going to get broached is in any kind of group or one-on-one -on -one therapy or yeah a bunch of guys invited to a panel discussion that's about the only way i can see it happening but across the board it won't happen until it's seen on tv as happening or it's seen mm -hmm. in the media like youtube channels and things where it's happening and they can watch the reality TV of it. I I am loath to say that, you know, I think that there is a role for women here. And I'm looking specifically at wives and and girlfriends, you know, the the people who have the ears of these men um, who who may have this kind of confidence challenge. 
I think there's a space there for some of these conversations to happen between loved ones about how do each person, you know, the man and the woman or the man and the man or whatever, how do they feel confident and sexy in their own bodies? And, you know, it's a conversation I've had with Jake. It was a very awkward conversation, but it does help to contextualize our relationship. It contextualizes our love life, you know, and it's important to understand ourselves so that we can better understand each other and what is or is not happening, you know, at that time. So I think that there's a role there. Do I think that men need to take more ownership of their own body confidence and their own um, mental health? Absolutely. I think men taking ownership of their own, you know, selves is uh, is absolutely high up there. On but the it list hasn't of things had that to happen. It, it really hasn't happened. Exactly. Because it absolutely, hasn't had yeah. to happen. And the reason it hasn't had to happen is the strict power dynamics of society. But we see the extreme consequences yeah. of that when no one is expected to talk about how to build self-confidence and be charming and put some effort into, you know, being romantic. Then you get people who assume the world is out to get them and these these incels emerge and it is an issue in Canada. There's been violence that happens as a result of it. You know, I think as a society, we no longer have the luxury of of ignoring this. And when I say we, I am talking about men. You know, we can't we can no longer continue to ignore how we understand and treat ourselves and our bodies um, and the role that that plays in our lives. Shows like Magic Mike and Finding Magic Mike and, you know, Mike, you're always <laughs> going to you. be my Magic Mike, personally. <laughs> I think that's that's always going to be the case. I think what it does is it starts these conversations in the house. You know, it's not a, it's not a family show. I wouldn't suggest putting the kids down to sit in front of it. But I think it is important. And if you do like a bit of trashy TV, stick your husband in front of this this show have a conversation about it and, and see where it goes. And, uh, you know, also men take some action, do some, some thinking and have a conversation. If you came across a guy who said, I'm starting to think about how I understand my body and my body confidence, what advice would you give them? Uh, I would tell them to explore what it is they're feeling and how it's manifested in relationships with their girlfriend wife how it affects them when they walk into the gym or into work and to be more aware of communication in general because unless we express what it is we want or need we're never going to get it so we have to learn how to express Mm -hmm. it first i mean communication is a skill that we develop constantly my magic mike thank you so much for for joining me on on this conversation um, I feel like it may not have been Sebastian's cup of tea, and that's why he uh, he bailed on on this, well, thank you on this very conversation. Much. Uh, I think folks may see you in the in the downtown oh, yeah. Toronto area, and uh, maybe they'll cross paths. I'm, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment on that. Thank you again. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure, and we will be back just after this.
Hello and welcome back to Cam Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. I'm Sebastian. And that was a track called um, Ravens on the Roof by Gina Burgess. And I actually really quite like this. Um, is a Halifax musician, but really has the way that throat singing was incorporated into this track fantastic mm-hmm. like it is i think a really innovative piece of music um and uh yeah really great to see um indigenous lgbt representation and i think this was very much it so very excited to see uh that actually not indigenous maybe not self-identified as indigenous but we'll we'll clear up our our, our understanding um, I mean, that. I, I do love uh, mixes of uh, traditional and sort of modern Western. There's a blues artist in the 90s called Paul Pena who mixed Tuvan throat singing with blue, uh, bluegrass. And it was amazing. Definitely recommend it. But yes, we're going to talk about condoms. Yes, actually, um, the artist uh, is, sorry, uh, Gina Bridges is uh, 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 Chibuktuk okay. so of the Mi'kmaq Nation. Oh, okay. Um, okay in yeah, Nova yeah. Scotia. So not uh, not what not what I said earlier, mm-hmm. um, but uh, definitely of the Mi'kmaq uh, nations, and uh, yeah, uh, identifies as uh, Chibuktuk and uh, Halifax so mm-hmm. is where they're from. Great, great track. Um, yes, uh, we talked about Russia. We talked about body confidence a little earlier, and yeah. I want to talk about a decision by the Federal Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. that raised a lot of eyebrows. Mm-hmm. You also heard about this story. Do you want to tell our, our listeners what the story is? Well, okay. So the, the story goes that there is a company called uh, uh, One Nail Condom. I'm going to, this is, there's a lot of corrections to this, but this is the story as it's being reported. Uh, One Nail Condom released a brand new condom that has been approved for anal intercourse. Um, and a lot of people have become very curious about this. And it's I've seen it reported all over the place. Um, what, what, what did you come across with regards to the story? Is that about it? Yeah, I mean, essentially, the Food and Drug Administration have announced that they have authorized the first type of condom that is specifically made for, um, you know, anal sex. That, that's that's uh, intercourse of the derriere for the right. sensitive listeners. This is where I've got very bad news for you, because I did some digging. It is their totally normal product line that they've had for the past five years. Because I was curious. I was like, what did they do? differently to this condom is it different materials is it a different manufacturing process it does it have to do with how they drape the latex over the forms what is it uh just turns out that they took their usual condom and uh they just tested it to see if it was suitable for anal intercourse and then uh one which is the name of the company and it just turns out that male condom is the product line the um i should say the uh uh, FDA name for condoms is male condoms because they're also female condoms. They're just called one. Uh, they took their results from their testing, submitted it to the FDA, and they said, cool. And then they rubber stamped it. So it turns out this is a condom line that's been around for about five years. They did nothing different. All they did was prove that it was just as safe. Uh, they did absolutely nothing different. Uh, but this is still important because they're the first people to do that. 
And what they actually found that the normal, the failure rate for a condom in vaginal intercourse is about 0.08% failure rate. And then in anal intercourse, it's about 1.2. And the ideal is 3%. So they're, they're flying colors for both of them already. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, I actually went to the website. I did, did some digging. I actually looked at some of the patents. There were no new patents. There was no new anything. And actually on the website for one condoms, it said, uh, yeah, no, this is nothing new. We did nothing different. We just tested the ones we already had. So well, th- the- there, this is a small case of widespread misreporting. Where- I, I don't, <laughs> I, I disagree a little bit because the Food and Drug Administration issued their own statement on this. Okay. And the the FDA, uh, their government website, issued a release on February 23rd. And uh, they essentially said this is the first time ever they've tested specifically for that. Yes. And our listeners might be thinking, why on earth is this even relevant? Like, why are we talking about this? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about transmission of sexually transmitted infections and diseases um, and bloodborne infections. So, you know, that's syphilis. That's that's super gonorrhea if you're in the UK at the moment. Um, You know, HIV is obviously a a big one. And um, having something that's not going to fail is important. Yep. So, knowing knowing the fail rate is actually pretty relevant as well. But uh, one condom, uh, I think we reported on this about seven years ago because it is a moderately new progr- uh, product. Um, and one of their, their big claims to fame is that they've got, I think, 21 different sizes for length and girth. Uh, they're all snug at the bottom and, and loose at the top. So snug at the bottom so it doesn't uh, slip off and loose at the top so that it doesn't give you the death grip um, and uh, you're supposed to do measurements and then find out what your size is. And it's not like A, B, C, D, E. It's like N88 or J, J, J. And it's completely meaningless. And the idea mm-hmm. is that it's supposed to take away ranking. That There's no such thing as like, it's not double XL. It's just, you know, you know, uh, they may as well call it C3PO. Yeah, yeah, and I think I wanted to get into that in just a few minutes. I am going to read the quick quote here from the uh, Courtney Lea's PhD, the director of the FDA's Office of Gastro-Renal OBGYN General Hospital and Urology Devices. So really, okay, the, the lady who knows a thing or two about gastro-renal um happenings it's Uh, it's the department of inserting things into or onto your lower half or out of yeah yeah exactly so um uh dr lias goes on and says the risk of sti transmission during anal intercourse is significantly higher than during vaginal intercourse the fda's authorization of a condom that is specifically indicated evaluated and labeled for anal mm-hmm. intercourse may improve the likelihood of condom use during anal intercourse. Essentially, they're like, first of all, I think it's the first time they've been asked. Which is <laughs> um, but they're essentially saying like, look, if we can prove that this works, yeah, people will have confidence in it. And if people are confident in it, people will be safer. And mm-hmm. that's really what the FDA is trying to achieve here. They're trying to, you know, make things safer. But one of the points of relevance is that one also confirmed uh, the materials that the we know that there's no toxicity unless you have a latex allergy, obviously. 
but there's no toxicity involved with exposure of putting a latex condom against the uh, mucous membranes in the vaginal cavity. And they've confirmed that it also has no kind of leaching or toxic effects other than a latex allergy if you put it in the rectum either. So that little bit of extra research and really all the, the everything that I looked at, it was basically just, we didn't do anything special. We just tested what we already had. And it turns out no one's done that before. And mm-hmm. that's it. That's the weirdest thing. No one's done that before. You know, that's I, the weird story. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, there's all this uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge when you're in the condom aisle and you're like, do I get the triple XL size? Mm. No, it's going to fall off. Like, yeah. they, like you're, you're achieving nothing. Except yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a pregnancy. Like that's, you've missed the point. Yeah. Um, you know, having something that fits your body is important. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they offer a service where they can like send you a thing mm-hmm. Uh, where you get it in the mail and you can use it as a like a measuring device and they have 60 different sizes so you can be reasonably assured that what you get in the mail it's gonna fit yeah it's gonna it's gonna fit and it's gonna work yeah yeah. and i think if you're trying to avoid sti infections especially if we're in in a zero discordant relationship so for example uh maybe your partner is hiv and you don't yeah uh you want to obviously not 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 contract hiv or likewise yep. transmit hiv yep, yep. it is so important to know that you have confidence in the equipment that you're working with and making sure that it fits is is a big part of that yeah so yeah for me first of all what the heck no one thought to test that before is a bit <laughs> insane and uh i think it's exciting to think that, yeah that you know these things are now starting to not be one of four sizes and good mm-hmm. luck to you yeah I mean, it might be a bit of a biased survey, but according to my one condom, the the site who've made these 60 different ones, they claim that uh, condoms sold in stores only fit about 12% of users. Oh, so, I mean, it gives, I mean, this is their own website. Of course, they're going to tell you that. Well, um, yeah, okay, yeah. But, you know, grain of salt here. But I do, I do think it's an interesting thing to think about, like, you know, because it does matter. You know, our health is literally on the line um, mm. or on the latex, as it were. Uh, some time ago, I, uh, th- moderately related, I, I came across a uh, um, an article about, I, I think it was Matthew Crawley. Um, no, sorry, uh, William Brantley Crawley was the man who invented ribbed and studded condoms. And uh, it was a novelty. He said, he never found them comfortable and his wife couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so the, a bit of an aside, it's nowhere else to put it. May as well throw it here. This is a relevant conversation. Uh, but yeah, just regular condoms that fit. Um, I don't know if they tested whether there's non-toxicity with the glow in the dark condoms, which I still find to be uh, peculiar. And if you have flavored condoms that taste like anything other than uh, human skin <laughs> i don't want a banana flavor i i, I don't get that but that's or if you're mm-hmm. gonna do something you know lobster thermidor or, or you know yeah uh, something tasty like a souffle or something yeah you know absolutely yeah, yeah. i'm there for that remember this is many years ago many many years ago we did yeah. a blind taste test you did on, on flavored uh lubricants and uh we couldn't guess half of them because it you know unless they told you what the flavor was yeah, you would know. And um, some of these flavors can be 
disturbingly realistic, but we're not going to get into that. Um, one of the Imagine things that blood pudding sausage flavored. Oh condom. no, I'm going. We're moving. <laughs> we're moving swiftly on. Uh, the food Just and put drug pennies in your mouth. <laughs> the Food and Drug Administration and One Condom both know that you want to get compatible lube. Yes. Um, some of them interact with the, the latex uh, differently, so you want to make sure you're using the right ones. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think that always speaks to knowing what you're doing and using the right combinations to make sure that you and whoever you're having fun with is safe. Yep. Um, we have run out of time. This is Monuments by Jen Newcomb, a, uh, a Philippinex uh, singer-songwriter out of Toronto. And uh, yeah, this is another great track that I thought would fit well with our show today. I have been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. Never.